You're listening to the Tamar Yona Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Hello on this beautiful Sunday here in Israel on the af- in the afternoon. And we're going to be talking about lots of things today. First, before I do that, I just want to say hi to everybody. I, you know, I, I like to do a call out to everybody who's listening in from all over the world, from all over the entire United States and Israel. And we have also listening in from Ireland, Uganda, the United Kingdom, Canada, Slovakia, the Netherlands, etc. I just want to say we don't know who you are. But we can see the flags of the countries and or certain areas where Internet towers are are, and we can get the, you know, the states and things like that. Okay, Uh, so I just want to give a big shout out to y'all. It's great to uh, see you listening in and write us a letter. Info, I-N-F-O at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Tell us how you heard about the station and what you like about it, any feedback you have, we'd be more than happy to listen and read your emails. Again, info, I-N-F-O, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. All right. Today's topics, crypto. Does independent crypto have a future? Also, Middle East regional change. Hmm. What does that mean? Also, financial industry issues, data, water wars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't we have a war going on in the Ukraine? We'll be talking about it too, I assume. And uh, I want to address first, though, a letter that I received from a listener called Fred. And he wanted me to talk about Aliyah moving to Israel when there is so much happening here in the government between the left wing and the right wing and the, uh, uh, the hatred of the left on the right there's probably some on the opposite way as well, but most of this instigation is from the left wing. And there was a terrific, uh, interesting article written by Caroline Glick on Arut Sheva, IsraelNationalNews.com, called The Israeli Left Threatens Murder and Incites Civil War. And again, that's by Caroline Glick. You can go read it there on Arutsheva. And it says the byline is when the left began its anti-government campaign, the public expectation was that violent lawbreakers would be treated the same way as their right-wing counterparts had in the past. That has not been the case, she writes, and that's an op-ed. And I want to talk about that with our guest, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. He is a researcher, former lecturer at Ben-Gurion University. He's authored over 90 books and 400 research papers on science, history, and more. He commentates on Mideastern world issues, and I want to welcome you to the show, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. Thank you. All right, so this last Shabbat, we had the Torah reading of Parashat Shalach, which is all about sending the 12 spies into the land of Israel. In those days, it was called Canaan, and, or Canaan in English, and the, they came back saying it's a wonderful land, but there's no way that we can go in there and win the inhabitants that are there, which don't, they don't exist anymore, by the way. They're, they're all dead, all died out, no more Canaanites in the world. Uh, I want to talk about this because here the people, just for anyone who's not familiar, the people who went out to spy the land, to take a look at it, to see where God is sending us to go, they were the princes of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were great. They were, they were, they were the, the Jewish elite. They were fine men. And yet they came back with this report. And the Jews cried. They said, we'll never be able to win them. Even after all the miracles that God did for us, he made the 
10 plagues in Egypt and he did so many things and wonders of the world and, and all of these things that happened. And then, and man, mana falling from the heavens, feeding us wells of water in the wilderness. Just, just, you know, us finding it there, everything. And then at the last minute, when we're supposed to go into the land of Israel, we lose faith because it's not to our liking or condition or belief or whatever their reasons were. We can talk about that if we have time. But the point is that our listener that wrote in, he said, why should we come to Israel if there's so much turmoil with your government, with the right and the left? So before I answer that, Dr. Mordechai ben Menachem, I would like to give you the stage. Well, you know, it's it's it, it, and on one side it's a, it's a simplistic question, on the other hand, it's a very complex question. Um, first of all, that's not actually the way he phrased it. His phrasing was troubling to me. Is it still worth worth it? Still worth it? In other words, you're thinking that it was worth it. Maybe now it is no longer is. Uh, did you try it and you didn't find it suitable to you? Well, what does still mean? What is, for that matter, what does worth mean? What, what exactly are you looking for? What, what exactly really, what really is your question? So that's one side. That's the, the question asked by this, by this uh, uh, a listener who wrote in. But the bigger question is the question of Aliyah itself. And that's what you brought up here with the uh, reference to the spies. And what people really need to understand is this is one of the most poignant examples of when the Torah portion is totally now. It is absolutely the same today as it was then. There is no difference. Uh, 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 a very good friend of mine wrote to me just um, about two or three hours ago um, uh, um, uh, saying, you know, he referenced as a book by the by um, um, by a well-known rabbi uh, during the during the in, in Europe. Uh, um, he wrote a book called Emma uh, Benim uh, Smecha. I don't know how do you say that in English. Um, anyway, this was a rabbi who, um, uh, when the political movement of Zionism was just getting started in Eastern Europe, he was against it, but he realized that he was wrong. He admitted he was wrong. He was from Hungary, and he wrote this phenomenal book. I mean, it's a, it's a book which is so powerful, it's shocking to anyone who reads it. I don't know if, there, if, an exi- if a translation exists in English. Yes, but- yes, there is. Of course, there is in English. It means, and by the way, it means uh, the mother, Ha'em, is the mother of children is happy. But it's basically a book about a, a rabbi who was in the Holocaust afterwards, and then he, he relented on his uh, d- not believing that it, it's necessary for the Jews to move to Israel. And afterwards, he was convinced, and he wrote this amazing book. Yeah, it's a phenomenal book. I mean, it's, it's, it's enormously powerful, uh, 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 enormously emotional. Um, and, and, and basically one of the points that he made is that the people who were the, as you said, the, the, the princes of the people, the, the gentlemen who were the, 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 the leading rabbis in Europe said, don't go. Don't leave. Everything's fine. No problem. Well, you know, why are you saying that there's a problem? Of course, all of those people are dead. All those people were murdered. 
And we're seeing the same thing today, whether you're talking about the United States, you're talking about Europe, it doesn't matter, talk about Australia, whatever, I don't care where you're talking about. Any person who tells you today, everything's all right, you don't have to go, Israel doesn't really matter. It's not, it's, it, there are problems in Israel. Well, I got news or for you. Or it's dangerous in Israel. talking about just basic, basic, uh, 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 um, now kind of issues. The uh, uh, life expectancy in Israel is longer, significantly longer than it is in the United States. The per capita GDP of people in Israel is much higher than it is in the United States. I'm looking at just the United States. Of course, the United States is, 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 is in better shape than Europe. So if I say it's better than the United States, it's far better than Europe. If we take just one example, the, G, the per capita GDP in Israel today is over $55,000 uh, uh, per year. Uh, in England, it's $45,000 per year. And England is the best of Europe in that sense. So whatever you're talking about, uh, uh, infant mortality, much lower in Israel than it is in the United States. Whatever measurement you want to use, every single one of them, bar none, Israel is in better shape than the United States. So if you're talking about, if your question comes from the standpoint of, oh, let's be practical, then you're asking a question which is the question of a jerk. That's a stupid question. Of course, if you're trying to be practical, it's much better to live in Israel. But if you're not talking about practical, you're talking about on a spiritual plane, which, of course, I believe is much, much more uh, uh, significant and much more, much more important than the so-called practical plane. Well, life here is just one heck of a lot better than it is anywhere in the United States. I was talking to a very good friend of mine who lives in western Massachusetts not long ago. And I said to him, you know, I was wandering around somewhere in, in a, 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 basically on a, a, just in a neighborhood in Jerusalem at 11 o'clock at night. And you see women walking around alone or women or mothers with, with uh, small children in strollers. Tell me one city in the United States where a, a woman will walk around alone at 11 o'clock at night. One city. Give me one city in the United States where the crime rate is not so horrendous that people are scared out of their out of their out of their booties i'm trying to be polite here scared out of their booties to go out at night of course we have problems every place has problems what place doesn't have problems you're going to make a comparison the very mac the, the the mere fact of making a ca comparison the act of trying to compare makes you ridiculous I'm not sure if he was trying to compare. I think he was asking a legitimate, legitimate question because that's that's something that would come up in people's minds. Like, why should I go to a place where there's where there's turmoil in the politics over there? And I want to answer that actually when we get back because this this segment is already over. I have a lot to say about it as well. I'm very passionate <laughs> about this well, I'm subject passionate as well. But I, but I I take it from a different standpoint than you do. I you're mean, a scientist. You're you're very good. I'm also a rabbi. You balance okay. me so well. Okay, we're going to be right back, everybody. Don't go anywhere. I have a lot to say, and we have a lot of subjects to cover on finances and wars and water and etc. Don't go anywhere.
All right, we are back at the Tamar Yona Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. We have a lot to talk about today. And uh, so let me just re- go over very quickly. Crypto, does independent crypto have a future? And the Middle East regional change that may go on uh, or is going on, we'll find out. Financial industry issues, data, and water wars. We'll talk probably talk about the Ukraine war as well. And I just want to answer a letter from a listener who is saying that with the tension now between the left and the right, and the left is basically agitating towards a possible uh, civil war, although they like to put it in terms of uh, violent, not violent, it'll be short, but very, very hard, etc. They're saying some of the tactics they're going to use. And it's a very, very um, hostile uh, they're, they're very, very hostile, these leftists that are demonstrating. And when you see the Israeli flag, them holding it, don't be fooled. They're leftists. They're not. They're anything but uh, patriots, in my opinion. In any case, I want to answer the letters to the, the listener. He was saying, is it even worth to come when things like this are going on? And I hope that I, I read it right. And uh, my opinion is, is that, first of all, when we read the the last week's Torah portion of uh, the, of the spies, t- ten of the twelve spies came back with a negative report about going into the land of Israel, and it was a bigger sin. I want you all to know it was a bigger sin than the sin of worshiping the golden calf. And if you want to know why, I just went to an amazing uh, uh, lecture about it the other day. But in any case. Uh, that's number one. Number two, we know it's a mitzvah. It's a commandment. It's what God tells us to do. He did all of these miracles, taking us out of Egypt in order to bring us into the land of Israel. And it's not under our conditions. It's not saying, well, if everything is all right in my, if, if you meet my conditions, Israel, then I'll leave my comfort zone in America or Australia or New Zealand or England, you know, the, the UK or the United States, Canada, etc wherever you are, then I'll come. Or if the government is to my liking, then I'll come. Or if I can get a job and have a house that's comparable to the house that I'm giving up here in the West, then I'll come. You can't do that because God didn't say make Aliyah. God didn't say I'm bringing you to the land of Israel to bring up your standard of living. We had people who came here, Jews that came from Ethiopia, that came from Yemen, barefoot. And they didn't know English. They didn't have the education you have. They didn't have a car to sell. They didn't have a house to sell. And guess what? All of them made it here in Israel. We don't have a homeless problem like you do in the West. People have a roof over their head. They're eating. They're not, you don't see anybody dying of, of uh, starvation. That doesn't mean that people have to struggle here. Many people do have to struggle. Many people here don't have to struggle. Just like in any society, you've got rich, you've got poor. But the point is, is that it's not conditional. It's not if you like the government. You, because even if it's a leftist government, even if it's a non-Jewish government, it's an occupation government like the Ottoman Empire, ruling here, or it's the British ruling here, or it's any other entity ruling here, it is still a mitzvah to live in Israel. And it's not conditional on whether it meets your, uh, your conditions and, and your scoreboard. So that's, so that's I want, what I want to say. When you do God's will, when you're doing a mitzvah, especially if you're giving up things and becoming a little bit more uncomfortable in order to come here and fulfill God's desire for you, because you're a Jew, you get even a bigger mitzvah than somebody who's coming maybe for, because it's even better economically here from a third world country they may be coming from. So again, remember mitzvot commandments that you do 
are not conditional of what you want and what your demands are, but it's what God says to do. Do the right thing and you're going to be okay. And I can tell you that especially if you have children, they're going to grow up much better here in Israel. And if you're a grandparent, you can be the anchor for them here in Israel that they maybe wouldn't come, but now that they've got a grandparent here, maybe they would. Okay, I can talk a lot about it, but I don't want to waste any more time of the show because I'm limited, unfortunately. It's not a waste of time. Uh, Let's go to your first topic, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem, and that is crypto. Does independent crypto have a future? Okay, um, let me begin by saying that I I made a a prediction, which I generally try not to do too much, um, in February, I think, or maybe perhaps in March, and I I said two things. I said that... uh, Crypto is a very high-risk investment because government cannot and will not allow competition. And I said that by June, we start to see a beginning of a wind-down of the war in Ukraine. So where, where, where have things gone since then? Well, let's go to crypto first of all. That's the, 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 the first of the things that I said. Um, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the so-called SEC, uh, SEC, whatever you call it, filed a lawsuit, or filed two lawsuits actually this past week, one against Coinbase, the largest um, uh, uh, um, uh, crypto exchange, and another one against something called Binance. I won't go into details about the either of these companies nor of the, the lawsuits themselves. The lawsuits are fairly complex, hundreds of pages. Um, but basically, the government of the United States is putting out a challenge to the entire crypto industry. Yes, they're doing it gently. And in the beginning, they're saying, well, no, we don't have a problem with uh, with uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or blah, blah. But we do have a problem with a lot of the small ones. And we have a problem with how they're traded. Maybe they actually are securities and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're accusing these companies of being unregistered brokers and all sorts of other things. Very, very complex. Uh, this is not the forum to go into these complexities. But basically what the the SEC said was a very simple thing. Coinbase and Binance both countered lawsuit by saying, but we've been begging you for years to tell us what the rules are. And the second saying, we make the rules, we change them as as we go along, and we have no obligation to tell you what the rules are. So stick it. Private crypto bad, government crypto good. That's where the U.S. government is going, and I will further my prediction and say that's where all Western governments desire to go, even if they haven't yet begun the process. The United States government has begun the process. They have, as the saying goes, thrown down the gauntlet this past week. And anyone who doesn't see that, I would say, is willfully avoiding looking at the, the facts. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you did talk about that. And I want to say here, I, I've always said I, I don't like any, something that doesn't have uh, meat to it. In other words, there's no meat and bone underneath it. It's fiat. It's not real. So I always well, say, that, buy we, we property. All have a problem with that, the if you're Jewish, much- buy an apartment here in Israel. You have something for your money. And uh, even, even if the crypto tanks or the dollar tanks or whatever happens, you've got something here and it's always going up in value. You, you can make money on it each month by renting it out. But go ahead. Okay. Um, I, I want to combine this now with the issue of the, 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 this fiasco that we saw recently, that so-called debt ceiling issue in the United States. 
Um, uh, it was utter, the whole thing was utterly ridiculous. Remember, people, this was the 80th time, 80, 80th time the death ceiling has been raised. 80 times the death, the, this, this, this law that was passed, I don't remember exactly what the date was, it has been changed now 80 times. And basically all they did this past time was they said, oh, well, we'll put it on, a, on, a, on, on hold for now, and in 20 months we'll revisit it. In the meantime, we can do whatever we bloody will please now. So what's 81? Yeah. It's been done 80 times, so what's 81? <laughs> well, 80, the problem is 81 is exactly when the next president is inaugurated, okay. January of, of 2025. Okay, I'm joking anyway. Go ahead. So the, so the timing of this thing, uh, the timing of when they, 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 they allocated this time bomb is very important. So they put it off for, say, two years, maybe three. So what? What's happening with the U.S. dollar? Well, let's look back two years, maybe three. Basically, we can say today, today, in, 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 in present time, two years ago, the U.S. dollar still had about 100% involvement in almost all foreign trade transactions around the world. Today, it's below 50%. Today. Two years difference. Two years. Hmm. Went from 100% to below 50% U.S. involvement, U.S. dollar involvement. If anybody thinks that they can be complacent about all of these issues, and I'm using crypto as the, as the fulcrum for this issue, and we'll get back to it a little bit later because I want to talk a, lot, a little bit later, later on about financial industry issues. These things are all linked together. Uh, you, Tamar, you've, you've spoken many times about the issue of uh, central bank digital currencies. Right. Most people are concerned, central bank digital currencies, oh, well, they can surveil us. Well, it's much more than just surveillance. We oh, no, yes. That, I mean, they can cut you out. They can, they can stop they can you from accessing it. cut you out. We saw that in it. Canada with the truckers. Right. They simply cut them out. They, they stopped their banking accounts. Right. And it's even much more than that. We don't have the time to go into it here right now, but these these issues are complex. I've said many times in the past, again, voicing my own private opinion, you can take it where you like, but I simply believe in metal. Gold, silver, whatever, these things, they've been around now for 6,000 years. I think they can trust them. All right, and again, that's his opinion. Everybody has to make their own decisions on what's best for their own finances. I just said that. That's my right. opinion. Right, yeah. right, right. So are we with this thing right now an end game to the U.S. dollar? I wouldn't go quite that far, but I would say that there has the the degree of pressure on the against the U.S. dollar right now is um, not just unprecedented, but it's atomic. We're seeing nuclear pressures right now, and there something has got to give. I don't know what it will be. I can't predict it. But I am absolutely certain that we have not seen the last bank failure. By the way, almost 550 bank failures since um, uh, 2008. Okay, hold your thought. We're going to be right back. We're going to be talking about war when we get back. Israel.
All right, we are back here for the last segment of the Tamariona Show, live on Sunday afternoon here in Israel. And we are talking about lots of different topics going on around the world and, of course, here in Israel. Let's start out with the Middle East regional change. Our guest is Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. Okay, a lot of people, I, I'm supposing, have heard about the, uh, the deal that China brokered between Saudi Arabia and Iran. There's been a lot of garbage published about this. The vast majority of things that people are saying is ridiculous, it's silly, it's basically journalists who have no idea what's ha- what the Middle East, how the Middle East works or what's going on here. Yes, there's a deal now between Saudi Arabia and Iran that calls for them to renew diplomatic ties between them. Full stop. Everybody that's reporting, oh, this means Saudi Arabia has abandoned the West and become part... Nonsense. Stop exaggerating. It's not all about you. They made a deal to renew diplomatic ties. Nikuda. Full stop. That's the end of it. There is nothing more. There are no other aspects to it yet. There could be in the future. But so far, that's all the all it is. Now the Iranians, for on their side, they then made a proposal which has not yet been accepted by anyone, to say, okay, um, we, we know that there are problems in the, in the Straits of Hormuz. About 20% of the world's energy goes through the Straits of Hormuz. Uh, uh, and historically, for the last 80 years, uh, the United States has patrolled the Straits of Hormuz. For the last year and a half, approximately, the United States has failed totally in that issue. Um, and the Iranians have proposed a, quote-unquote, West Asia Naval Joint Patrol consisting of Iran, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and Qatar, and perhaps also India and Pakistan. As I said, no one has accepted this as yet, mostly because most of these countries, certainly Saudi Arabia, UAR, and, and, uh, uh, and India, and I'm guessing the others as well, suspect that probably some of what the Iranians are doing is sort of like what the mafia call protection rackets. We won't sink your ships if you pay us to not sink your ships. Hmm. Otherwise, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Right. So these are kind of the kinds of things... Um, uh, it's extraordinarily uh, uh, important to be aware, on the one hand, that the vast majority, I'm sorry to have to say it that way, of reports throughout the United States and Europe are simply fictitious. The journalists either are lying or they have no idea what they're talking about. I don't, I'm not going to point fingers now, but the, the reports that come out are simply ridiculous. Um, there's another thing that people aren't aware of about, uh, aren't aware of in the United States. The Iranians, as people probably know, are Shia. Under Shia Islam, there's a concept called Taqiya. And Taqiya means that you're allowed to lie if it's clearly to the benefit of Islam. So the Saudis clearly know this. The Emiratis know this. The Indians know this. Nobody trusts Iran, nobody trusts their word. They have never, ever kept their word to anyone 
on any issue. And everybody is aware of this. All this is part of the regional issues, how the, how the Middle East works. You need to be aware of how did, how was it that, um, that uh, Julius Caesar said it? Know your enemy and he's yours. I'm not going to quote it for you in Latin. That would not be helpful. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's the, uh, a little bit about some of the things that's going on in the Middle East. As I said, a um, lot of change, unfortunately, misrepresented. Okay, let's go to some financial industry issues right now. Uh, I'd like to start with a quote from the General Accounting Office. Uh, 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 full disclosure here, they're former clients of mine. Uh, uh, well, I, I, I worked for them uh, uh, some 25 years ago. They are some of the finest professionals I've ever met in my life, or at least they were then. I don't know if things have changed. The GAO is a branch of the Congress. It's part of the auditing oversee, oversight uh, 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 structure that Congress put in place. They're phenomenal people. I enjoyed working with them perhaps almost more than I would say almost anybody else I worked with in that, around the United States. Uh, uh, they're, they're really superb professionals, and I found them to be um, uh, uh, just a pleasure to work with. Okay, here's a quote. A broad plan is needed to put the federal government on a sustainable long-term fiscal path and ensure that the United States remains in a strong economic position to meet its security and social needs, as well as to preserve flexibility to address unforeseen events, close quote. Now notice something very important here, to meet its security and social needs. The GAO is saying that a non-sustainable financial structure in the United States makes the United States insecure. That's a brilliant statement that no government body till now has had the courage to actually state up front. So let me put that into perspective. Um, since 2008, there have been 539 bank failures in the United States. 539. How many of them were you aware of? Four? Five? Most of them are never reported. Banks fail and nobody knows. All right? So what's the status of the banking institutions of the United States? Remember, bank, uh, America has about 4,300 banking institutions. I say banking, I, I'm including also with that credit unions, okay? So 12.8% of them, uh, of the total, receive what's called a red warning flag. That means that they are in danger of imminent failure. 12.8% of them. That's 1,210 institutions are in danger of imminent failure. Another of these, uh, 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 another 3,000 of them received a yellow warning flag indicating risk of failure in event of a financial crisis or recession. 45% of all U.S. financial institutions are in significant financial danger, financial vulnerability. 45%. Okay, so bottom line, what does that mean? That means essentially, again, something that I've been saying for 
a long time now. Be aware of who you're banking with. If you use your bank to store your value, you need to be very aware, aware of what that means for you in the near, middle, and long term. Learn what's going on. There's a company, it's called Weiss Ratings. You can go to them, that's spelled W-E-I-S-S, -S, Ratings. And you can, for free, get a reading of how they view. That's a leading rating company in the United States for banks. Go to their website. You can get a reading from them of the status of your bank. Pay attention. Learn. This is, we're in a times right now of where things, where the, the levels of risk have grown extraordinarily. If you don't pay attention to it, someone else will. Okay. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, and I want to try to cover as much as we can. Water wars. Okay. Water wars, an extraordinarily important issue. Let me just make, first of all, a couple of basic statements. Every country in the Middle East has water issues and water problems, except for Israel. Israel is the only country, only country in the Middle East that does not have uh, 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 does not suffer from scarcity of water. That, of course, is because of our uh, superb water management. Okay. Um, the 21st century is said by many analysts to be the, the century of water scarcity, the century of water wars. The Syrian civil war broke out in 2011 because as a result of water scarcity. Where did that water scarcity come from? It was triggered by Turkey, who damned the Euphrates. Um, uh, 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 damning the Euphrates was not something that was agreed upon between countries. Turkey just said, we want the water, we'll keep it for ourselves, and if you don't like it, tough. And many countries uh, 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 live off that water for the last six, 7,000 years. Syria, Iraq, etc. They're suffering now terribly from water shortages because the Turks are simply selfish and won't share it. I said uh, uh, Iraq, let's go from Iraq to uh, Iran. Cyrus the Great, 2,400 years ago, created his first Persian Empire by an engineering marvel. One of the things that people don't understand, and it's very important historically, Cyrus didn't really create the empire by conquering. He, con he first created the empire and then went out to conquer, not the other way around, <coughs> which is very strange historically. But evidently, the guy was a genius a phenomenal genius. What he did was he created a system of water management called Kanat, Q-A-N-A-T, which brought water from the mountains to the plains of to the Persian plains. Remember, Persia is a high plateau. So most of Persia, and Persia is not exactly the same as Iraq and uh, as Iran, uh, most of Persia was semi-arid, what he did was he brought the water down via something similar to Roman aqueducts to the, from the mountains to the plains, therefore making Persia uh, fertile, and therefore he could have an army. Because if you have food, then you can have 
children, you're going to have an army. That's how he did it. The Kanat system functioned for 2,400 years. The Ayatollahs came along and destroyed it. And the, the, the knowledge to, re, uh, uh, to recreate it or to even maintain it today no longer exists in Iran. Iran is dying. 97% of Iran is suffering now from water shortages. Which is very dangerous because countries go to war for water. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Now, over this past week, there have been uh, uh, skirmishes, armed skirmishes with people dying between Iran and Afghanistan over the water of the Helmand River. So we're seeing, again, as I said, in Syria, now we're seeing in Iran, because they destroyed their own water sources. Now they're trying to take water sources from someone else. There was a, 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 a treaty, uh, 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 I think it was 1973, if I'm, not, if I'm remembering correctly, on, on how the waters to be, of the Helmand River is to be shared. Both sides have basically uh, uh, um, broken the treaty. And now they're talking about going to war, actively going to war, Iran and Afghanistan. Not a nice thing. China is breaking drilling records. Chinese oil men are currently drilling the world's deepest ever oil well in the Xinjiang region. People, people might be familiar with the, that name, Xinjiang. That's where the Uyghurs live. It's the area that the, the Muslims in the area are called East Turkmenistan. The Chinese Han don't particularly care for the Muslim Uyghurs. I'm being gentle here, uh, and there have been a lot of been a lot of talk. I mean, uh, um, uh, uh, Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State, called it genocide. I think I believe him on that. I would be very careful what we would say about. In any case, the hole is projected to reach ten thousand meters in depth. That is unprecedented in, in human history, into the into the crust. Massive effort trying to find order, oil and other resources. Ukraine. In Ukraine, as you probably heard, a dam was sabotaged. We don't know yet by whom. If you look very carefully at the <clears throat> at the videos of the explosion itself, we see that the explosion came from within the dam, not from not from outside. It was not like airplanes bombing it, as, as, as uh, um, uh, England did to Germany during World War II. But You're talking it, about somebody, sabotage. It was, it was from within. We don't know if the Russians did it, if the Ukrainians did it, or somebody else. We don't know. Anyone who says that they know is lying. We do not know. Or right they did it. <laughs> well, we don't know. We don't know who did it, and that, that's, that needs to be clear. Um, Ukraine benefits. I don't see any way that Russia benefits from it. Um, to me, right now, accusing Russia of this is a very strange accusation. Well, it was but like when they... Any farther than that. Yeah, but they did the same thing with the pipeline. They blamed Correct. Russia, okay, the, the Biden administration. That up. <laughs> we learned this past week, at the, sa at the same day, actually, that the, you, the dam in Ukraine was uh, exploded, we learned that the uh, 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 explosion, the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines. By the way, there were four pipelines. Nord Stream 1 was two pipelines. Nord Stream 2 was two pipelines. All four of the pipelines were blown up, evidently, by Ukrainian um, uh, un undersea um, uh, uh, operatives. 
I must say, I personally have done uh, um, uh, um, explosive work and uh, work of that sort under the water, never at the depth that they did it, but uh, I know a little bit about it. This is not a trivial thing, but it's not something that's so complex that only an extremely sophisticated Navy can do it. Almost any Navy in the world could have done it. This week, we, we learned that it was almost definitely Ukraine that blew it up. Probably a very dumb thing to do. Well, we will find out as time goes on. As the famous saying says, wait and see. We'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> All right. True. Thank you very much, Dr. Mordechai. Ben Menachem, it's good to have you on. And next up is Returning Home, also live today. Thanks for listening, and remember, any comments, feedback, uh, you can write to info, I-N-F-O, at israelnewstalkradio.com. Thank you again, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Manachem. My pleasure. Thank you.